Welcome to the Development Policy Centre. In this podcast, part of a series of speeches from the recent PNG update, you'll hear Mr. Bruce Davis, Australian High Commissioner to PNG, reflect on the diversity and strategic importance of the Australia PNG relationship. He also discusses the need to recast the framing away from foreign aid to one that more accurately reflects the reciprocal nature of the partnership and argues that the model of donor-recipient to describe the pattern of exchange between the two countries is now largely redundant. Charles Abel, Honourable Minister for National Planning at the PNG Government, also speaks. Abel discusses the importance of PNG's transition to a sustainable economy and argues that the responsible use of renewable resources is essential if PNG is to sustain growth beyond the resource boom. He names the Fly River system as an example of the importance of valuing environmental resources appropriately, arguing that the environmental costs of its exploitation results in a clear net loss of capital. You can find a link to both speeches at the Dev Policy website, www.devpolicy.anu.edu.au, under the 2016 PNG Update tab. We hope you enjoy this podcast. I'd like to call the... His Excellency uh, Bruce Davis, Australian High Commissioner, to give the inaugural address. Minister for National Planning, the Honourable Charles Abel, University of Papua New Guinea Vice-Chancellor, Professor Albert Mellum, dignitaries, academics, students and colleagues. I'm delighted to be here today to participate in the Papua New Guinea Update, one of the nation's premier forums for economic and public debate. Can I start by thanking the Vice-Chancellor and his team for hosting this event and for what looks like an extremely interesting program for the coming two days. I'm very pleased to be standing here at the University of Papua New Guinea, the nation's first university. As everyone in this room will know, UPNG is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year with the first classes commencing in 1966. I'd like to offer my congratulations to the university, its academics and students on this important milestone. It has been a challenging year for UPNG and it is a credit to the strength of the institution and its people that you've worked hard to overcome those challenges. There have been many great people who have studied here, but just to highlight that no less than four prime ministers form part of the institution's alumni. Pius Winkti, Ravi Namaliu, Makeri Morata, and Peter O'Neill. When they were here, they were promising students who dreamed of playing a part in the decisions and events that would shape this nation's future. I suspect that is the same for many of the young men and women here today. A strong academic and research community is important for any country, enabling it to reflect on where it has come from and where it wants to go. The importance of impartial and objective research to the development and analysis of good public policy cannot be overstated. That is why I'm particularly pleased that this event is being held here and that there is a growing number of contributions being made by Papua New Guinean researchers to these important debates. As you know, I've worked on the 
as you may know, I've worked on the Papua New Guinea-Australian relationship for a significant period of time. That's why I was very honoured to be appointed as Australia's High Commissioner to Papua New Guinea. It has given me the opportunity to re revisit so many of my favourite places and get reacquainted with the incredible beauty Papua New Guinea landscape offers to also be reacquainted with the communities, the culture and particularly the people. One thing that I'm always struck with is the depth and breadth of the Australia and Papua New Guinea relationship. In this sense, I am not referring to their interactions that come from our formal government-to-government -government engagement, but to the very, very many interactions that occur more informally and through people-to-people -people contact. I always love and seeing and hearing about those stories because it's those links that provide the real sustenance and ballast of the relationship. I love meeting the Australian doctors, nurses, teachers, religious and many others who have come to Papua New Guinea to learn and visit and stay here to live and work. Or meeting the rugged individuals and business men and women who are working hard alongside Papua New Guineans whether it is in Highlands Agriculture or the latest mining venture, or meeting the incredibly talented students who have studied in Australia and are returning to apply their new knowledge, or now the Australian students who are coming here under the new Colombo plan to study. Or maybe it's one of the many nurse, uh, church volunteers scattered across the country and working at times in some of the most difficult and remote places. Or perhaps even it's one of the growing group of young, growing, growing group of young people who are forging entrepreneurs' networks as they discuss new ideas for startups and the world of venture capital. And while conferences like this tend to focus more on the formal side of the Australia-Papua New Guinea relationship, I would encourage you all to reflect on these very many aspects of that relationship. It is the people and their interactions, not our government-to-government -government links, that most deeply define the nature and special relationship that exists. Australia and Papua New Guinea are bound by history and geography. We have helped each other, worked together and challenged each other on the sporting field. Our, relation, our relationship is incredibly rich, incredibly diverse, incredibly broad and incredibly important. There is much in the relationship that is positive, but there is one thing that I would like to see recast. That is how for too long we have allowed some to frame and define our relationship by the issue of foreign aid. We do need to fix that. We need to recast that framing. It is outdated and does not reflect the reality of our deep and broad bilateral relationship. Australia and Papua New Guinea are no longer donor and recipient, but economic and strategic partners in the 21st century. It's a partnership defined by many things, but I want you to consider three statistics. Firstly, today Australian business investment in Papua New Guinea stands at a massive 45 billion kina. Secondly, two-way trade between our countries 
amounted to almost 14 billion kina last year, with 60% of that trade going from Papua New Guinea to Australia. Thirdly, there are over 5,000 Australian companies that do do business here. Now, in comparison, I want you to consider the following. At independence in 1975, Australia's development support represented 40% of Papua New Guinea's budget. It now stands at around 10%. To me, the story from these figures are, are quite clear. They tell me it is an economic cooperation relationship that is at the heart of our relationship, not an aid program. They tell a story of a contemporary relationship, a contemporary partnership. Partnerships are about shared opportunities and shared challenges. And while we are on the topic of challenges, I do want to acknowledge the efforts of the Treasurer and his colleagues who on Tuesday handed down a budget appropriate for challenging circumstances. In such circumstances, the ongoing commitment by the government to fund core government services is incredibly important. For both of our countries, situated as we are on the broader Oceania and Asia, the economic opportunities are immense. APEC, which Papua New Guinea will host in 2018, is the fastest growing economic grouping in the world with a massive and expanding middle class. The countries of Southeast Asia, the countries of North Asia, all are within easy reach of both our countries. For commodity exporters like both of us, these are huge and valuable markets. The 19 billion LNG project, which commenced production in mid-2014, has transformed this nation's economy and has seen Papua New Guinea become a key energy supplier in this Asian century. But our resource riches present us with both opportunities and challenges. The opportunity comes from the chance for us to develop and sell the resources on the global markets. The challenge is to ensure that we use the revenues from these non-renewable resources to wisely invest in the people of the country and future opportunities. While the global downturn in resource prices has presented us both with some large challenges, the outlook still remains promising. Indeed, Total and its joint venture partners are pushing ahead with plans to commercialise the elk and antelope gas fields in what will be the country's second major LNG project. In the mining sector, plans for developing the Wafi Gulpu and Frida River projects are progressing. However, as this year's update, 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 not outdate, update rightly acknowledges, economic diversification is vital for countries to ensure sustained economic growth and development. For Australia, this means a greater focus on the services sector and exports such as tertiary education and tourism. The tourism sector has huge potential for Papua New Guinea too, offering unique experiences for visitors in one of the world's most environmentally and culturally exotic locations. As one example, the international cruise ship market is currently worth 14 million kina a year. A concerted effort at expanding the number of cruise ships visiting Papua New Guinea 
could see these returns multiplied many times over, which in turn benefits surrounding communities, many of these otherwise very isolated and remote. Destinations like Alatau, Kokopo, Madang and Kaviang should be as familiar as Bali and, or Fiji in international holiday markets. And cultural tourism, through events such as the Garoka, Anga and Mount Hagen shows, the Kanoankundu Festival in Alatau, or the famous Seapic Crocodile or East, Britain, East New Britain Mask Festivals, all offer huge potential draw cards. Capitalising on these opportunities requires investment in transport links and infrastructure, together with business-friendly policies and marketing. Papua New Guinea also stands to reap rewards from value-adding and ensuring the quality and consistency of its agricultural exports. Take cocoa, for example, an important cash crop that supports about 500,000 families. On a recent trade visit sponsored by Australia and New Zealand's Pacific Horticultural and Agricultural Market Access Program, international chocolate makers declared Papua New Guinea cocoa as among the world's best. It is, they say, comparable to Madagascan cocoa, which commands a premium of 800 to 900 US dollars a tonne above market prices. But to earn these returns, the, the cocoa industry must improve its post-harvest management. The key, again, is investment and an export-oriented approach to doing business. Australia and Papua New Guinea's pursuit of economic growth and development is assisted by our respective countries' long-standing commitments to free trade with low tariffs and few restrictions on investment. But as the OECD warns, open markets aren't enough to guarantee economic growth and development. Sound economic governance and ensuring the rule of law are all important for countries that wish to realise the full benefit of liberalised trade. A commitment to improving the regulatory environment, lowering transaction costs and promoting better health and education outcomes is also important. A strong economy needs good quality and reliable infrastructure that enables better economic and social outcomes. A strong economy also needs a healthy and educated population in particular where women are free from violence and able to fulfil their economic potential. In addition, strong institutions and a stable policy environment provide confidence to investors, helping to translate economic opportunity into jobs and growth. These are the foundations for promoting economic growth and therefore appropriately also the foundations for development cooperation under an economic partnership. It is no longer feasible nor appropriate for Australia to be seen as a financier of basic service delivery that is rightly a core and sovereign responsibility for the Papua New Guinean government. Instead, our development cooperation must support our economic partnership and our investments need to add value rather than substitute. This does not mean that we'll not support service delivery. We will, 
We have significant and ongoing investments in health, education, women's equality, law and justice, governance and transport. But in these areas, more focus needs to be placed on helping improve governance systems, attracting and leveraging further finance, trialling new innovative solutions, training, helping train and support the next generation of Papua New Guineans, public service, community and private sector leaders, building and supporting institutional partnerships and reducing gender-based violence. It's in areas like this, these, where we'll see real value add and real outcomes. In recognition of this, we have been working closely with the Papua New Guinean government to reshape our development effort. At a policy level, we are working with the government to strengthen the business enabling environment and drive sustainable economic growth. We are increasing our cooperation in areas that will help grow the economy and initiatives that promote trade and support further development and growth of the private sector. That includes a large expansion in our infrastructure investment, reflecting the role that infrastructure in key sectors such as transport, health and education plays in promoting economic growth and improved access to services. This work also extends to the local level where Australia is working with Papua New Guinea to support reforms to the decentralised system of government, including at the district level, to help identify local priorities, promote local solutions and better utilise the significant public and private sector resources available. We are also partnering with the government for the delivery of the national elections next year. And to support community needs, we are working to support effective partnerships between the Papua New Guinea government and the private sector, civil society, NGOs and churches, based firmly on the principles of gender equality and inclusive development. For example, through the Churches Partnership Program, Australia recognises the significant historical role the churches have played in the delivery of services in Papua New Guinea particularly in the areas of health and education and their unparalleled reach across the country. The moral authority of church leaders is widely accepted and they continue to play a critical role in enabling communities to have a voice and build momentum for positive social change. We're also establishing and deepening institutional partnerships. That is not limited to public service departments but it also includes working with key institutions such as the National Research Institute. Given our location today, I wanted to discuss in slightly more detail one of the key institutional partnerships we are supporting with the objective of training the next generation of Papua New Guinean leaders. I'm proud to say that Australian universities have had a close association with UPNG since its foundation. This tradition, this strong partnership, has been renewed and enhanced in recent years with the creation of the Pacific Leadership and Governance Precinct. The precinct is a joint initiative of our two countries to continue to develop capable and ethical leaders 
who will drive economic growth and improve service delivery. One of the first changes which most people here will be aware of has been the creation of the School of Business and Public Policy from the old School of Business Administration. This is not merely a change of name. It is an important statement of direction and intent. The school now has a greatly enhanced focus on economics and public policy, both of which are of critical importance to any nation's future prosperity and is obviously the subject of this conference. The school is on the way to becoming a regional centre of excellence in these important disciplines, providing direct benefits for hundreds of students and long-term capacity improvements. Importantly, the precinct is supporting the school to become a research hub, enabling academics and senior students to contribute to the nation's understanding of the opportunities and challenges it faces. The Institute of Public Administration, another historic institution and home of the famous Bully Beef Club, is also receiving support to strengthen its role as a provider of vocational training to the nation's public servants. New buildings at both UPNG and IPA will ensure students have access to modern facilities so they can focus on their studies and collaborate with colleagues in Papua New Guinea and beyond. The buildings not only enhance the space for learning and teaching, but create a place to come together for debate and discussion around the topics of nation building, public policy, leadership and building coalitions for change. In many respects, I see the precinct as a good illustration of the new partnership that has developed between us in recent years. The shift in Australia and Papua New Guinea's bilateral relationship has been driven by global economic circumstances and our mutual interests. But our joint decision to acknowledge this shift and to pursue a modern economic partnership has been a very, very deliberate one. As part of that and in conclusion, let me state again, Australia stands shoulder to shoulder with Papua New Guinea, ready to work together, very much in partnership in the interests of both our countries. Thank you very much. Thank you, Your Excellency. The Minister, Honourable Charles Sable, is now going to give the opening address. So let me invite the Honourable Minister to take the podium for the opening address. Thank you. Thank you, MC, and uh, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much once again for having me here at the uh, University of Papua New Guinea. And uh, at the outset, I want to say that um, we acknowledge the university has gone through some very difficult times uh, of late. And um, we regret many of those events and we sympathize with you. And um, I'm just glad and happy that uh, the university is coming back together. And uh, we're coming together once again uh, in events uh, like today, and it uh, signifies uh, 
the rebirth of uh, UPNG, particularly uh, in this significant year, which is going to be the 50th anniversary of the University of uh, Papua New Guinea. So it's uh, significant in many ways. And um, let us come together and uh, unite once again to continue to build uh, this wonderful institution. So thank you so much. And um, I acknowledge, of course, uh, His Excellency, uh, Bruce Davis, our Australian High Commissioner of Papua New Guinea. And thank you so much for your inaugural address, uh, High Commissioner, and the extensive brief uh, on our relationship with the Australian uh, government. And we continue to acknowledge and thank the Australian government and the Australian people uh, for all the efforts that uh, you and they make uh, on our behalf, uh, some of which are manifest here at this institution, and of course many of the other important projects you mentioned, including the, uh, the leadership uh, precinct. Our Commissioner will also meet again uh, this evening at the Australian uh, Alumni Association 10th anniversary dinner, and also to celebrate the Australian Awards uh, program uh, next phase. And we'll continue to speak to each other and remind ourselves of the good things uh, we both are doing <laughs> in Papua New Guinea. Uh, Professor Albert uh, Mellon, uh, Vice-Chancellor for the University. Professor S uh, Stephen Howes, Director for the Development Policy Centre at the Australian National University. Professor Lekshmi Pillai, Dean of the School of Business and Public Policy. Professor Betty Lovai as well. Uh, Secretary for Finance, Dr. Nungan, was going to be here, but uh, Stephen Nakuitu is, uh, is here uh, in his absence. Stephen, thank you. To uh, Gary Tunsell, the CEO for uh, Number One Super. I made sure I wrote his name down uh, this time because I got the name wrong uh, previously. Sorry about that, uh, Gary, but thank you. And all our other uh, distinguished participants and visitors here today, especially those of you that have travelled uh, into Papua New Guinea, our staff and students, University of Papua New Guinea, and other members of the public, ladies and gentlemen. I also uh, acknowledge uh, quickly the Asian uh, Development Bank for their support here today, together, of course, with the Australian government that I have uh, already acknowledged. And I note our economist, uh, Yurendra, sitting there, and also our World Bank uh, economist as well, Chandra, I acknowledge you. Uh, our ambassador, Trivedi, is also here from the United Nations. Uh, lots of good help obviously come from the United Nations. And I also want to uh, mention, of course, uh, Professor Chalapan Kalawin, who has uh, been a constant uh, champion in terms of uh, sustainable development, and also his service uh, to the University of Papua New Guinea, and indeed the people of uh, Papua New Guinea. I say thank to all of you, thanks to all of you for this continued uh, interest and support around the theme of sustainable development. And what I will say today uh, is based around that, because indeed that is the, uh, the topic uh, of this conference. And I will refrain somewhat from talking generally about uh, the economy uh, or some of those particulars in terms of the development program, uh, mainly because we talk about that often, and particularly in the context of the 2017 budget, we've been giving speech after speech around those particulars. And uh, whilst I will touch on some of them, just to remind us of uh, how that process of the budget is evolving in terms of the development context, and just to emphasize our efforts to try and shift some of the focus onto outcomes and achievements 
as I was saying in my budget speech, rather than the constant focus on the particular details around expenditure, we need to begin to uh, shift and raise the awareness and emphasis around what is actually being achieved uh, in terms of these resource envelopes, what is being achieved in terms of the successive resource booms that uh, we want to talk about uh, today, and how indeed it is translating uh, into development indicators, and how indeed we are building an economy that can sustain itself beyond uh, this resource boom, which is what we want to talk about uh, more particularly today. So um, we gather today jointly once again to confirm our desire to continue to elevate this conversation about sustainable development and particularly sustaining development beyond the resource boom. We are referring of course to our country Papua New Guinea as we continue the challenge of converting our abundant natural endowments into the basis of a modern, sustainable, broad-based and inclusive economy. The broader issue of sustainability and the rising consciousness around it is well accepted now and it is very much a part of global mainstream discourse and becoming one of the central issues, if not the central issue, as manifested particularly in climate change. PNG has ratified the Paris Agreement this year, along with 86 other countries to date, thereby acknowledging the issue of global warming and climate change and the imperative for action. We have committed to specific emissions reductions and to contributing to keeping the rise in global warming to under two degrees Celsius. The WWF for the World Wildlife Foundation has recently published research indicating a massive decline in biodiversity. And I quote, from 1970 to 2012, populations of vertebrate animals have decreased in abundance by 58%. As the trend continues, researchers expect about two-thirds of all of these individual birds, fish, amphibians, reptiles and mammals to have disappeared from the 50 years between 1970 and 2020. The WWF points to habitat loss and habitat degradation as a key factor in Earth's declining biodiversity, along with climate change, unsustainable practices in things like the global food supply, and an overuse of the Earth's natural resources which exceed the planet's biocapacity." In Papua New Guinea, we have suffered recently from a severe drought, the likes not seen in this country before, followed then by heavy flooding. We are having to go further and further in the village to find fish or food, or sago leaves for roofing. We clash over land more frequently. As Papua New Guineans, with our God-given intellect, we must respond to this phenomenon. It is not good enough to say that it is the price of development. It is not good enough to say we need development and therefore it is our turn, our right, to make all the mistakes others have made before us. We make sure in the first instance that we recognize and acknowledge the crisis. We then develop a motivation to do something about it, to respond appropriately, and this includes making smart and strategic development responses. As Papua New Guineans, we individually and collectively demand that the matter be incorporated into our national development agenda, and we also commit to some personal behavioral change. There are certain universal principles, and these are contained in the chants and the ceremonies of our forefathers and in many ancient cultures. They are contained within Christianity, and they're even enshrined in our constitution. 
Some of these principles of respect for the environment and life in all its forms. The principle of cause and effect. Give and you shall receive. The principle that a universal spirit connects everything. And these principles cannot be abused without repercussion. The way we conduct ourselves, which includes very importantly our development paradigm, should be founded on these principles. If they are at the heart of our culture and constitution and religion, should we not conduct ourselves accordingly? Should we not do as we say, or should we not say, or should we say and then do the opposite? The current definition of development is simply too human-centric at the cost of everything else, and the cost is everything else. Our country has been exercising its right to adopt this conventional development paradigm well and truly by allowing an unchecked exponential population growth and sustaining it largely by selling off the farm, so to speak. We are merely participating in a party and contributing wholeheartedly to the systematic destruction of our home, planet Earth. The National Strategy for Responsible Sustainable Development, or STARS, is an attempt to integrate these universal principles that we own and have written into our constitution together with our development pathway. Whilst we have our natural resources, including our non-renewable resources, relatively intact, how do we transition to a modern economy that provides the fundamental human rights and needs, including meaningful jobs for everybody, is self-sustaining and helps to repair the planet? With a managed population growth towards population stabilization and the proper management of our strategic assets, which include forests, tuna, water, our biodiversity, and minerals and petroleum, the STARS document contends that we can build an innovative economy based on the provision of food, clean energy, green solutions, and climate security. This economy can be supported by the staged and responsible exploitation of the non-renewable resources and the establishment of a functioning sovereign wealth fund where eventually earnings are only drawn down into budgets. That is, earnings rather than capital only are drawn down into budgets. We consume the income, not the capital. And it's the same analogy for all our resources. We live off the harvest from the garden without destroying the garden itself. In the case of the non-renewables, we convert them into assets, of course, such as building a national service delivery framework as described in the Planning Act, that is the underlying basic capital infrastructure to deliver our services, and we begin to construct this sovereign wealth fund. We create assets that are essentially perpetual. They generate a return that sustains the asset himself and provides consumable surplus. And in this way, we can prosper beyond the resource boom. We convert the non-renewable assets into what are renewable assets, essentially. Uh, even if they are financial assets, they're renewable assets. They sustain, they generate income perpetually into the future. The proviso, of course, is that we don't exploit these resources if the environmental consequences are too significant. And the example I continue to give is the wholesale destruction of the Fly River or the Fly River system, because this is an obvious net loss in capital when and if the environment is valued properly. The insertion of this aspiration into our national planning framework, 
which now links the Constitution to five-year medium-term development plans, which in turn now, by virtue of the Planning Act, are aligned to the political cycle as well and connected to annual budgets through the National Planning Act has been one of the achievements of the Department of National Planning under this government. This aspiration is captured in the Medium-Term Development Plan 2, the current Medium-Term Development Plan indicators, in an attempt to create specific outcome targets and is part of an overall effort to improve accountability and reporting of government, as I explained previously. As we roll into MTDP3, under the incoming government following the election, we need to bolster this process by incorporating the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and continue to refine and improve STARS and the interventions around STARS through successive budgets to improve the articulation and translation towards sustainable development. Some of the high level interventions, as you would well know by now under STARS, have been the population policy and its pilot programs, the cabinet decision to phase out round log exports by 2020, the intention to phase out transshipping of whole tuna by 2020. There is not actually a uh, specific date around that. I've just thrown in that uh, date myself. We talked about water pipeline to Australia and, of course, the establishment of the Sovereign Wealth Fund. This STARS program has other significant interventions, like sponsoring the sustainable development degree here at the University of Papua New Guinea. We need to significantly boost our human resource capacity in this area to drive the technology and the innovation around smart agriculture, fisheries management, research based on our biodiversity for medical green and blue technology development and solutions, downstream processing of gas, geothermal and hydro energy solutions. We need to build industries around research, education, clean food and energy production, ecotourism and conservation zone management and our rich culture. We need to include the principles of responsible living and development at primary and secondary school level. And we need to actually live the principles. Respect our health. I say respect your wife or your husband. Respect others. Respect the environment and be a net contributor to development. Be a positive force because that's what it truly means to be a Papua New Guinean. We need to appeal to all our development partners to support this process not only for the betterment of Papua New Guinea, but for the world as well. And this is captured in another STARS-inspired document, which is the Development Cooperation Policy 2015. This is indeed a development revolution, and Papua New Guinea most certainly can be a leader, not a follower. I'll conclude my speech there. That is what uh, I have put uh, pen to paper. I don't often like to, uh, to read speeches but uh, do make a particular effort uh, sometimes. But I want to just come here and encourage you all, particularly the, uh, the champions like Dr. Mellon and, uh, and Professor Cullowin, and all of you that have chosen to undertake this particular field of study. The government remains committed to this process, certainly through planning. Uh, there is another 10 million kina in the 2017 budget towards the Sustainable Development Program. We will continue to support the University of Papua New Guinea. I believe... There is a, another degree uh, um, that is about to happen, uh, a law degree, I believe, around uh, sustainable development and climate change, as explained by Professor Colwyn. 
and uh, I'll have the great pleasure to, to launch that as well uh, later on this year. So thank you so much, everybody. Let's continue uh, this effort. I think the government, unfortunately, as has been again described at the budget when I spoke, continues to rely too heavily on the next large resource project. And you can see a lot of our five-year outlook was predicated on this LNG gas project. And what has happened? Oil prices have collapsed. And we continue to repeat the mistake of not investing into some of the more broad-based and underlying industries we need to develop, some of which uh, High Commissioner has mentioned. And uh, our government, unfortunately, with this tightening budget situation, have to give priority to the fundamentals. And as we fund and try and fund education, health and infrastructure, law and order properly, it squeezes the budget and it tends to squeeze out some of the investments we should be doing, uh, perhaps uh, if we had some of the largest from the, as, as expected, from the LNG project, that we can park some in the Sovereign Wealth Fund and have a bigger envelope to continue that capacity building but start to put more money into agriculture uh, and into tourism and into sustainable development, which is more what we should be doing. So we believe that there are good prospects ahead as the oil price recovers and as some of the other projects come online, uh, we will move back into some of the surpluses we've enjoyed in the past. But we must take the opportunity to learn from the past and make sure that we actually park some of that money and to make sure that we begin to invest uh, into a more sustainable future in those industries that we describe. So let's continue to raise the consciousness. Let's continue to work together. Um, we need to continue this dialogue. Uh, we need to ask the international community to come and help us to make that transition. The transition that will respond to climate change, that will respond to uh, these issues that the global community continues to talk about. But Papua New Guinea needs to take some of the steps itself first. And we've tried very hard through planning to elevate this issue and to create that planning framework and to put specific outcomes against it. And I've explained again and again, but it is my intention after the demographic health survey in early 2017 to come up with an up-to-date scorecard in relation to the medium-term development plan indicators, which have incorporated many of these things, uh, and to at least begin the process of providing up-to-date, reliable information that we can then speak uh, to in terms of how Papua New Guinea is progressing in development. And so I continue to try and emphasise that because I think that is something we need to raise the consciousness about as well. And by just looking at the newspapers, you can see the obsession with expenditure. And, you know, we need to start talking about revenue. We need to start talking about a development context. We need to start talking about a longer-term pathway and how do we maintain that pathway. So we are operating to a strategic pathway. We are not just in this cycle of boom-bust and in this cycle of chasing our tail in this poverty cycle and sort of hanging on to the next project and the next project while the population is growing and growing and we're observing climate change and as, as a sort of, a, you know, as if we're divorced from it. We can actually help to resolve these issues and create a new economy by selling the solution to those issues to the world. That's the idea behind STARS. Thanks so much. Uh, Vice-Chancellor, everybody here today, uh, I hope I've added some value to the, uh, the conference and good luck over the next two days. Thank you very much.
been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea and the Pacific, and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter for all the latest updates or connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening.